And if you open your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and if you guys have a sheet, is back there one if you need one before we study or, or we start. If you'd like to follow along in the outlines, is they're back, back there. So 2 Samuel chapter 15. And today we're going to talk about the value of true friends. This is not the same match as I preached a, a couple of weeks ago about friendship. <laughs> but it is a different, different message here, but the value of true friends. Okay, we're going to talk about a little bit about friends again today and what they, what they mean in our lives. And we're going to see here how, how David uh, uh, profited with uh, having true friends on this side in this hard time in his life. So let's look at verse 13. And to verse 15 of Second uh, Samuel 15, and we will start uh, uh, dissect this passage here, this chapter, this, uh, this evening. Look what it says in verse, in verse 13 of Second Samuel 15. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom, Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. As we look at it, Lord, I just pray your name will be uplifted tonight, Lord. Uh, your name will be glorified, Lord. Give us something, Lord, we can take home. Lord, help me to do justice to this passage as we study, as we go through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the value of true friends. We talked about friends the other day, but today I want to talk about the value of true friends. Not just friends for the occasions. Friends. You know, friends. A friend. You have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is one of those friends, right? Jesus is one of those friends. So Jesus ought to be the greatest friends that we can have is Jesus, our greatest friend. Stick closer than a brother. But also, humanly speaking, they are friends. But friends are valuable because they're rare to find. You follow that? We're talking about friends before a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a couple of weeks. But friends are of great value, especially if you have one good friend, you know, a friend that you can share the most deep secret, you can talk openly with that person and know that person is there, is a friend. We know we talk about Jonathan and David, uh, that was between them, but today we're going to talk about the value of friends. It is in, our, in the hours of great distress and great needs and great pain that we really know who our true friends really are. And I say this from my own heart, my own experience in, in my grown up years. I'm not a teenager. I'm 55 years old. Been around for a little while. All right. So uh, some of you have been around maybe older than, longer than me. Maybe who's been here longer than me? Brother Tom. <laughs> so Brother Tom. So, you know, I can tell you from my own heart and testimony through the years that it is in great distress, in great need, in great pain, in great emotional stress that we really find who friends really are. So, 
It is in the hours of pain, like I said, suffering, discouragement, doubt, depression, anxiety, that we really know who our friends really are. The value of friendship comes to the surface in those moments of life. Yes, it is good to laugh. Everybody likes to laugh, right? It is good to, re to, to, to rejoice. It is good to have, to have good times. It's all good. I like it too. I like to laugh. I'll be loud, laugh all day long. <laughs> oh, you know, but when those moments or those hours and those seasons come, it is good to have a friend. It is. Agree, Brother Tom? Yes, sir. It is good to have a friend, isn't it? One thing to experience, I'm going to go back a little bit. When your friends are hurting, I'm going, to put a, I'm going a little bit more. <laughs> when you are hurting, are you... Are your friends hurting with you? When you are hurting, are your friends hurting with you? Or your friends just say to you, I'm too busy, I'm doing this, doing that, and you try because you want somebody to listen to you or to, and, and they're not there. So when, you've, when you are hurting, are your friends hurting with you? Actually, the Bible says uh, we are to cry with those who cry and laugh with those who laugh. So there are seasons we laugh. There are seasons, because this world is like this. Right now, there are people crying. Right now, there are people laughing. That's the way the world is. So, but are you hurting? Uh, when you are hurting, are your friends hurting with you? When your friends are hurting, are you hurting with your friends? You see that? It goes the same way. It's not like, okay, my friends are hurting for me because I'm hurting. But when they are hurting, are you hurting for them? One thing is to experience God's power uh, when you are facing giants or fighting armies and quite some, something else when you are watching people tear your world apart. God has, was chastising, I'm sorry, David, uh, but David knew that God's power could help him in the hour of pain as well in the hour of conquest. So we see here, we see here a very hard situation. That I would never wish, neither I would wish to anybody else. This is Absalom, David's own son, who tried to dethrone his own father. And literally, if you could kill him, might as well probably would do it. And how this father is going to battle against his own son. Put yourself there. Would you do it? Very difficult. So David runs away. From the situation. One thing that is very uncommon to David. If you read, read, to the read to the life of David. Or study the life of David. David never ran away from any battle. David faced every battle except this one. Why? In the other side was somebody called Absalom. His own son. So this was a time of uncertainty in David's life. A time, this was a time in David's life on which he was going to learn about the value of, of, the, of true loyal friends. It is hard to believe that a son would go to war against his own father and his own family. But it happened here. Actually, folks, this is not an uncommon, uncommon thing. For there are many children who have turned against their own parents. And rebel against their own parents. This must have been very painful, I believe, in, for David to deal with. His son, the one that David raised, loved, 
and must carry, carry on in his own arms for many, many, many years, was against his own father. So let's look at this from several points tonight about the value of a true, of true friends. I didn't put friend, I said true friends, because it's good to have friends, <laughs> not just one, but friends. If you have one, it's a good thing, but if you have more than one, even better. So let, number one, the plot to overtake the king. The plot to overtake the king. We see this from verse 1 to verse 15. So you see, David recognized that God's loving hand of discipline was upon him for what, for what he had done. And he admitted that he deserved every blow for what uh, he had done. But he, also, uh, but he also believed that God's gracious hand of power was still at work in his life. Listen. The Bible says that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Right? Now, so if you have done wrong and confess your sin to the Lord, yes, we reap consequences. That's true. And the Lord allows us to reap consequences. But that sin has been forgiven. There's no reason to go, oh, did God forgive me? Did God never forgive David knew he did wrong and David knew consequences would come out of it. But David knew that he was forgiven. You follow that? God forgive him. Same thing with all of us. If we remember correctly, Saul was a man on which God put him in the place of a king. But God told Saul that as long as he obeyed, he would cap that position. But if he disobeyed, the Lord would strip him from that kingdom. And exact, that's exactly what happened. So on the other hand, we have a man, David, which was a shepherd boy. who prom got promoted to a palace. According to the Bible, David was a man... After God's own heart. That was David. He had, a God, he had a heart for the Lord. Even with all the wrong that he did, this man loved his God. Listen, I believe that many people here love the Lord. And have a heart after God. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. The same thing with David. Because, I mean, one, someone, one person told me, one, told me this one time. How David could be a man after God's own heart when he made a lot of mistakes? I said, I'm glad you recognize he made mistakes because that's exactly what he did. But his heart was towards God. I see, we're not perfect. We're just human beings. We have faults. But as long as we keep our mind towards God and our heart towards God and keep asking forgiveness for, forgiveness for what we have done, God forgives. And God sees the condition of our hearts. So now we have Absalom, David's son, who was not called to be a king, neither was anointed by the Lord to be the king, but wanted to be a king by force. Be careful when you try to force yourself into things. So this man, Absalom, does all kinds of scheming to get to the throne of his father. Uh, again, we must be careful when we try to dethrone God's anointed Anointed men here. And that's exactly what Absalom tried to do here. So he tried to dethrone God's anointed man. And he was not. He just won by force to take it. Now we have one who wants to touch God's anointed and take over the kingdom for himself. Now, this young man, Absalom, had many, had many character traits here. Let's look at let's look at, as, as, at his character. This is, this is the character we see in the scriptures about this man Absalom. Number one, he was a liar. Look, look at verse three. And Absalom said unto him, "See, thy manners are good and right, but there is none man deputed of the king to hear thee. 
What does he do? When this guy was standing in the side of the street, when, some, when people go to see the king, he put himself between the king and the person. And he tries, there's nobody to listen to you. I'll listen to you. He was lying to the people. He had a purpose. So he had an agenda. An agenda is to, to get the heart of the people to like him. So they will go against his own father. So he began to do that. So this man was a liar. He began to lie to the people. So folks, there's nothing new here. What this man is doing is a picture, picture perfect of what many others do when they try to get up in the ladder of success at any cost. They lie, they scheme, and do all kinds of wickedness just to get what they want. This man was waiting for the people, like I said, to come and get counseling from the king. And he, you know, and he would lie on his ears. On their ears, I'm sorry. How many people out there whose lives are nothing but a lie? They're constantly, they get up in the morning and their lives is about lying and lying and lying because they have an agenda. And they don't care who they lie to. I mean, we live in a society today that, you know, uh, people lie with a straight face at you. <laughs> they don't even, they don't, you know, it was the day people get a little rad and uncomfortable. Ah, that stuff is gone. They just, just spit it right out. So number, uh, let it be. He was a patient, a patient man. Look at says verse 7 of 2 Samuel 15. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. So Absalom was not only a good liar, but he was very patient. He was a patient man, able to discern just what is right for him, the right time and the right hour. So he kept on lying, little by little, little by, for what? And he had a purpose. I lied today, I lied tomorrow, I lied to this guy, this guy, this guy, this person, that. And eventually, as time goes by, I get their hearts. Patient is a virtue that I don't have. <laughs> But patient, this man is a man of patience. You know, you live in a world today, you ask, you want here now? This guy said, whatever it takes, patiently I'm going to win the heart of these people. And patiently he began going on and on and on with this thing. So you see, patience is a virtue, and it is something that all of us need to learn. We can patiently wait on the Lord to direct our paths uh, and our life, our decision that we want to, to, to make. We can patiently wait on the Lord to remove the mountains that are in front of us, the obstacles of life. We can patiently wait on the Lord to do many things in our lives, or we can try to do it ourselves because we don't have patience enough to wait. Now, some people wait patiently, but not on God. They wait for their wickedness plan to come to pass. That is obsolete here. They patiently sit back and watch their wicked scheme come to pass, and in the right time, they act. Absalom wasn't one of those guys. He waited and waited until the tide was in his favor to act. Let us see. Not only he was a, um, a good liar, uh, he was a liar, he was a patient man, but thirdly, he was a deceiver. Look at verse 4. It says, Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were, uh, I were uh, made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Be careful for deceiving people with, with smooth words that try to deceive us. 
And look what it says in verse 5. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do obedience, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. You see that? I think somebody was betrayed with a kiss. You know who it was? Mm -hmm. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. And this man right here is doing the same thing. He's, given, he's, given this, he's kissing the people to just smooth the talk because he is a wicked man. He was a deceiver. With great skills, Absalom uh, 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 used every device in his disposal to, to masterize the people uh, and to win their, their support and win their hearts. So some uh, would notice here in verse 5, Judas deceived Jesus with a kiss. Absalom deceived the people with a kiss as well. Now, in the culture of the first century Israel, a kiss was not always a romantic expression of love. Okay, rather a kiss on the cheek was a common greeting or a sign of deep respect and honor and brotherly love. Uh, there are countries that do that. You know, you might feel uncomfortable. For an example, in Portugal, people do that. They greet you with a kiss on the cheek. Uh, they're not, it's, it doesn't, it's nothing romantic. In America, we don't do that. It's not part of the culture. There are cultures out there that do that. When they greet each other, they do that. They greet each other with a kiss. Uh, so, uh, of course, uh, some people might, especially if you're not used to those cultures, you would feel uncomfortable, and I can understand why. So, what really stands out in the mode of Absalom betrayal is that he uses such an intimate expression of love and respect to betray the people and his own father. So Absalom's actions are hypocritical right here in, in, the, in the extreme. His actions said, I respect and honor you. And the, and the exact time, he was betraying all, our, all those people with the kiss. So get this, David had won the hearts of the people through sacrifice, service, but Absalom did it in an easy way, in a, in a modern way. He did it by manufacturing an image of himself that the people couldn't resist. So David was a hero. Absalom was a celebrity. You follow that? David was a hero. Everybody knew that, that he was. He killed Goliath and all that. Absalom was a, was a, was a celebrity. That, that, my friend, is the problem of our days. Many people look for celebrities like they are God walking on legs. Every word, every action, every detail of their lives, it is like gold to these people. And many of them are not even highly educated. But because of their fame and money, they are viewed as celebrities. So every word is like, wow, did you hear what they said? You see, since David wasn't available to people, Absalom met them personally on the road to the city gates when they came early each morning to give their grievance or, 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 or get some counseling from the king. So he was there. He was there day after day, just try to win the hearts of these people, and he did. So he would greet these visitors like old friends and find out where they came from and what was their problems. He greeted them, uh, and, and, and of course, he and always greeted them with a kiss, and he won the hearts of these people. So he, it was gross flattering of the most despicable kind, but the people love it. Look what it says in verse 4. Absalom, Absalom uh, said to Moab, Moreover, all that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Letter D, he was a smooth talker. 
You see this in verse 12. Go to verse 12. And it says, And Absalom said unto uh, Ashaphel, the Gilanite, uh, David counselor from his city, even uh, from Gilash, while he offered sacrifices, and, and, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. So he began to do this to the people, and slow, patiently wait, and slow, day by day the people began to, to, he began to win the heart of the people, and people began to walk away from his father. Great plan, wasn't it? Listen, folks, there are lots of smooth talkers in our world. People who are capable of convincing others with these smooth words. Let me tell you this. There was someone who convinced Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with smooth talking. It was the serpent. Smooth talking. It led Eve to believe and even, even question, did God say? Be careful with those people who are smooth talkers. Make things so nice and so easy to just... To, because they have something behind the scenes that we're not seeing. They carry an agenda and they use the right words to convince those who they, who they want to drag with them. So remember, like I said, Satan, the old enemy, is a smooth talker as well. So Absalom was a smooth talker. He was a man that had the world, uh, the world to convince, uh, uh, the, I mean, words to convince others, even those who were faithful to his father. He, give, uh, he gives... Uh, uh, as, uh, as invitation to, uh, to, uh, to 200 key people in David's administration who willingly attend the feast and, that he gave. Even David's smartest counselor was a at his feast. And uh, I believe his name, but Ahithophel, uh, uh, it's Ahithophel, is his name. But Ahithophel did more than attend the celebration. He was also absolute harmony with Absalom. And they're revolting against King David. So this God is such a smooth talker. Even the people that was close to David, he convinced. So what we see here, we see the plot to overtake the king. We see a man here whose goal was the throne. He, had to, he wanted to dethrone his father. And he went through by, he did that by trying to get the heart of the people so the people could go against his father. He could stand in the outside and say, it was not me who did, did that to you. But he was the one behind the scenes. So number two, we see the reaction of the king. The reaction of the king. Look what it says in verse 13. And there came the, uh, a messenger of, uh, to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David, and David said unto uh, to all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. So we see right here what happens here. We see the reaction of the king. For he shall not uh, not else escape from Absalom, make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. So I heard many messages on, on this passage. You believe me, I did. And every time I hear, I hear a message being preached on this passage, the preacher seems to always blame David for it. All right, so let's dissect this here a little bit. Let me clarify here something tonight, okay? So, everything is, oh, is that David's fault? David's fault. Okay, all right. So, yes, David committed adultery with the woman and murdered her husband. That is true. Okay? Yes, God said that stuff was going to happen to him. Yes. Yes, David admitted his wrong and confessed, to, to, uh, confessed it to God and the Lord forgave him. Yes. And God said, a sword should not depart from your house. That is true. Okay, so. Yes, we understand there are consequences that we reap because of our wrong do, uh, wrongdoings and wrong actions. Isn't that true? 
When we do wrong, Lord, forgive us. The Lord forgive us, but we reap the consequences. Isn't that true? David reaped the consequences. We know all this. I know many preachers, what they do, they blame David. Oh, this is all David's fault. Okay, all right. So now, my point is that we cannot shift the blame of Absalom's actions here to be David's fault. You follow that? What Absalom does is his own responsibility, not his father's fault. Okay? So, David was not, commit, was not committing any sin at this point. His son was. Folks, I still believe that everyone is responsible for their own actions. Absalom was responsible for what he was doing. He goes, oh, I'm doing this. Somebody gets caught in a crime. I'm doing this because my mom and dad uh, did this to me. No, no, you were responsible for what you did. Don't believe somebody else. That's our world today. It's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. That's the world that we live in, folks. I work in the places, oh, oh, oh I didn't do it. So-and-so did it. Just, you know, you did it. Admit you did it. Be honest. See, right here, I see many people blame, oh, that's because that's a result of David's sin. Yes, he confessed. God forgive him. And he was reaping the consequences. We understand this. But his son's actions is his son's actions. He, he's doing that. So we should not blame David for Absalom's sin. So now, folks, I still, like I said, I still believe that everyone is responsible for their own actions. Now, if you were David here, what would you do? What would you do? Let's say you're the king. One of your servants comes and says, hey, your son just, just stole the heart of the people. Everybody's for him. They're against you. They're coming against you. What would you do? If you were a king, if you were in David's shoes right there, what would you do? Get the army and go against your son? David chose to flee. Get his people and leave. If this situation was between you and your son, what would you do? Would you go to battle against your own son to the purpose of killing him for what was going on? You see, it is easy to come to our own conclusions when we are not the ones involved in the situation. You got that? Whatever situation is. Can you imagine how David must felt when he learned that his own son was, was after him to dethrone him? Can you imagine what was going in the heart of that father? I'm a father. I would never, I, I don't know how I would, I would flee too. I would think I would, that's what I would do. I would flee too. Letter A, we see the decision to run. We see this in verse 14. We already read this verse, so some people may think that David was showing weakness here, but I don't believe that to be true. First of all, David was, was not uh, known to be a man that would run away from any problem. David was not a man to run from battle. David was a man of war. He knew how to defend himself. He knew how to defend himself. I tell you what, when we were watching David up in Lancaster, it is awesome when you see David killing the lion. It is amazing. And when he gets the giant, oh my. I will watch that show again. I tell you what, you're talking about amens and hooray and standing up and applaud when that happened. It was great. I'm, I, I could have I watched it about maybe about two more times. It was great. Anyway, encourage you, go see it. <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, so David, 
was not, not known to be a man that would, that would run away from his problem. Secondly, David was a man of war, like I said. He was used to, to that type of environment. He was a warrior for Israel, and he was not a man to back down. Why would he even decide to run? I believe David didn't really want to hurt his son. That's why he said, get the people out. Look what it says in verse 5. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Atai, saying, deal gently for my sake with a young man. You see the heart of a father here? Look what it says. Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. See, he knew that what they're supposed to do, he gave orders to, to, to his men, to his men, to, to his generals. He gave orders to them what they should do, but he said, deal easily with him. That's the heart of a father. And he walks away, he moves out of the way. I believe that you, you, uh, that you also want to protect as many, that he wanted to protect as many people from harm as possible here. So if Absalom had the whole nation following him, it would be easy for armies from Judah and the north, northern tribes to surround Israel and leave no, no way for escape for anyone, to, or for anyone to escape there. David knew that the same Absalom who killed his brother Ammon would also kill his brothers and possibly even his father. So it was imperative that everybody would move or flee. So furthermore, if Absalom had to attack Israel, he would slaughter the inhabitants there, and there was no reason for hundreds of innocent people to die. It was just like David to risk his own life and abandon his own, his own throne uh, in order to protect others. So David chose the best thing to do is to flee. I won't face him. I'll flee. I'll move my family out of here. I'll move many people I can out of here so it wouldn't be casualties of innocent people dying. So that was the response or the reaction of the king. Number three, we see the friends of the king. So we said about the value of friends. We're going to see it right here, right now. So David was, a, uh, was in a very hard predicament as the king of Israel. For one, there was someone called Absalom who wanted to dethrone his own father. But the worst of it was that this man was his own son. So this whole thing could have blown it into a civil war between him and his own son. And many innocent people could die here. Folks, I don't know, uh, I don't know that, it is, that it is in time like this that we find who... I'm sorry, let me go back a little bit. I don't know about you, but I think that is in times like this that we really find out who our, truly, our true friends really are. Those who are there, they call them, you know, some people can say, oh, I'm your friend, your friend, but when you need them, they're not there. But right here, David is going to find out who are his real friends here. Remember, a son is still in the heart of the people. Many people follow a son. Now David is moving out because his son is after him and many people, they are about to dethrone the king. And now he's in a hard predicament. Now he's going to find out who's my friend here. Who really cares about me? So at this point in time, David does not need a lecture of being a better father. That's not what it is. He does not need a, a, a seminar to go to, to learn how to, how, to, how to govern his kingdom. He does not need someone coming along to tell him what his failures were. He knows that well enough by now. What David needs is someone who cares, someone who is a true friend to him because he is in a hard predicament here. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man that had friends 
Listen to this. Must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that stick it closer than a brother. So how we get true friends and valuable friends? When we ourselves uh, show ourselves friendly to other people as well, or to those people. It's got to be both ways. All right? So a man that, that had friends must show himself friendly. So we see here the friends of the king. Number one, or letter A, David's, David had heartfelt friends. Look, let's look at verse 18. And all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Jeratites uh, and all the uh, Pelotites and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after from Gad, passed on before the king. Then said the king of, uh, to Hittai, the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger also in exile. Whereas thou comest, but yesterday shall I, uh, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go, uh, I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren, thy brethren, mercy and truth be with thee. And I, uh, uh, Hittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in that or in life, even there also will thy servant be. That's great value right there. Hear what he says? David, whatever you go, whatever you go through, whatever you sit, whatever I go be there with you. When everybody's against David, David have a valuable person right there, this man. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm being with you. I will die with you, David. See, it seems that this Hittite is the command of a group of 600 men that came to Israel from Gad to follow David. See this in verse 18 there. Gad was, uh, as, uh, as you may know, it is the land of the Philistines. And it was also the, the home of Goliath. You might also remember that David spent some time living in, in, with the Philistines when he was on the run from King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 27 and 30. Apparently, David made an impression on this man, Hittite, and the rest of these, on these men. So when these men heard of what was going on with David, they didn't say, well, David, I wish you well. I hope you can come over this. They went towards David, and they said, we're going to be with you. Wow. See, somebody said a true friend is those who walk in when everybody else walks out. That's exactly what this guy's doing here. You know, when the, the heart of the, of the people is with Absalom, these guys come in and say, David, we are with you. You're not alone, David. Now that, now that David is on the run again, Etai expresses his desire to be with David. So Etai is a person who has, he has a, uh, who's been in the background. This is the first time this name is mentioned in the Bible here. But when the chips were down in David's life, this man steps up and demonstrates the depths of, the depth of his life for, the, for this king. In fact, he, he pledges his absolute alliance to, to David, even if it means dying for him. Can you imagine that? That is the value of a true friend. I die with you if it's necessary. Let me put it this way. Once a British newspaper ran a contest asking for the definition of a friend. The winning entry was this, this 
thought. A friend is the, the first person who comes in when the whole world walks out. <laughs> that, that's this guy right here. Everybody's moving with him, David. This guy is coming with his men and said, David, we are for you. We're here for you. So as we go through, uh, through this life, there are few people that will fit in this category for you and me. I believe so. People that are there for you. But thank God for true friends, isn't it? Thank God for those who are there. We say, listen, you need help, I'm there. You need what? I'm there. And then they do whatever they can to help you. You have friends like that? If you don't have, I feel bad for you. But if you do, rejoice in the Lord and praise God for it. I'm telling you. It's good to have friends like that. Thank God for the people who love us when we are on the on the top and when we hit bottom. If you have a friend like Etai, then you are a wealthy person. Sadly, many people will be your friend when all is well in your life and when they can't benefit from being around you, they leave. So real friends, listen to this, a real friend loves you when you have absolutely nothing left to give. Let me mention this again. A real friend loves you when you have absolutely nothing left to give. Let me put it this way. Jackie Robinson was the first black to play Major League Baseball. Okay? Breaking baseball color barrier, he faced uh, the, the, the words of the crowds. He first many, faced many crowds in every stadium that he went. While playing one day in his home stadium he broke, in Brooklyn, he committed an error. The fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base, humiliated, while the fans just kept going, calling him all kinds of names. Then shortstop Pee Wee Reese, I think that's his name, came over and stood next to him. He put his arm around Jackie, Robin, uh, Jackie Robinson and faced the crowd with him. The fans grew quiet. Robinson later said, that arm around his shoulder saved his career. That was the arm of a friend. He's saying, they, they do saying all these bad things to you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to look at them and see. They're going to see that I'm your friend. And the crowd stopped. Remember, there was a black man and a white man right there, side by side. What a message to that crowd. What a message. I can't think of any friends like Etai in my life. I, I mean, I, I can't think of many friends like Etai in my life. I'm also glad that I have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that's the Lord Jesus, who, who said he would never walk out of, of me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus is always with me. One, one who tells me loves me regardless of my current situation. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have a friend who cares for me when I am up, and runs, it, it, he runs beside me when I'm down. Jesus is right there for me. We know that. Jesus is the closest friend we can have. Closer, I mean, he sticks closer than a brother. Well, let me tell you, it is good to have earthly friends too, isn't it? It's good to have earthly friends. It's good when we struggle. It's good when we have a problem. It's good to, to hear the voice of a friend. Somebody that we know is going to tell us the truth. He's going to tell us, hey, you know, you're going the wrong way. You need to do this. Uh, and sometimes he goes, oh, yeah, you know. It's good to have that voice of a friend. 
Because sometimes we're stubborn, sometimes, sometimes we need some encouragement, you know. But we need that voice of a friend. So, number two, or let it be, David had humble friends. We see this from verse 23 to verse 28. So we see Zadok here and Abishar were priests. So they were men of God who loved David and wanted to follow him as well. When we fled from Absalom, they followed David, bringing with them the Ark of the Covenant. So David, however, sends them back to Jerusalem, placing his trust in the power of God to deliver him. See this in verse 25 to verse 26. So David tells them that they, they, can, they, they can best serve him by being uh, his eyes in the city. Then without comment, without hesitation, this, these men do exactly what David asked. You know, that's a friend too. They know, they know that David was in trouble. They know David was in exile. They know the, 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 the problem. And when David asked a favor, they said, I'll do it. Isn't that great to have friends like that? Let's put it like this. Isn't that great? Let's say your car broke, broke down. You need a ride to work. You call a friend. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I really can't do it. You know, I just get out of bed. But you have that friend in the back of your mind, and you, you don't want to call him. And you call that friend, and that friend said, I'll be right there. That's a valuable friend. I'm just using a silly example here. But do you see what I'm saying, my point I'm seeing here? The value of a friend. So these two demonstrated one of the greatest marks of a true friend right here. So I, I don't know if this is in your outline, but I'm going to put it up. A genuine friend will love you and accept you. Even when it, he doesn't not understand you or agree with you. Okay, let me repeat that. A genuine friend will love you and accept you even when he does not understand you or agree with you. A real friend will stand by you regardless of the risks involved. They will stick out their necks for you. They will be there when others turn and walk away from you. A genuine friend might even get hurt in the process of taking your side. But no matter when you look, you will find them standing firm in your corner right there every time. That's a real friend. If you have a friend like that, then God has greatly blessed your life with. Let me give you an example. Two men who were hunting on the northern USA suddenly one yelled on on the, uh, uh, and the other looked up and see a grizzly bear charging them. The first started to uh, uh, get up and to try to put his, his shoes on or his sneakers on, and his friend anxiously asked, What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you know that you, you cannot grow, outrun a grizzly bear? And he says, I don't have to outrun the grizzly bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> oh, that's a good friend right here. Oh, goodness. <laughs> as long as I outrun you, I'll be fine. <laughs> so this is the kind of friends most of us have. When the chips are down, they think of themselves first and they outrun you. A true, a true, uh, uh, a true friend always puts you first. That true is illustrated in the following story. Let me give you one right here. Sam Davis was a... Confederate spy executed in 
Palace Key, I think it's Palace Key, Tennessee, for his crime. When captured by the Uni Union Army, he had, his uh, uh, he had in his possession some papers of vital importance. After examining the, case close, uh, examining the case closely, the officials in charge knew that he must have an, an accomplice in securing the papers. He was, uh, he was uh, found guilty and he was led out to, to, a, to, the, to a fire to be uh, executed and they blindfolded him. So then, he, uh, uh, then one of the officers uh, came to him and said, if you give, will give us the name of the man who give you this information, you may go free. Sam Davis did uh, not hesitate and replied, if I had a thousand lives, I would give them all before I would betray a friend. That's a true friend. That's a valuable friend. I'm glad to report to you that the saints have such a friend in Jesus. He loves us so much that even when we are sin enemies of Him, He gave His life on the cross for us. He even called us friends when we were acting like His enemies in John 15, 13. He is a friend who loves us like where we are, even when we are unlovable. He loves us though we act foolish towards Him many times. He loves us even though we do not deserve His love. He is a faithful friend. Let us see, David had a heroic Heroic, yeah. Her, heroic friends. Isn't the outline right there? You say, I can't even say the word. There we go. <laughs> so the next friends to come to, day, to, uh, come to David's uh, side was a man named uh, uh, Hushai. And, his, and, and, and we are told in this in verse 37 that he is David's friend. He comes to meet David as David is leaving Jerusalem. And Hushai here is is clear, uh, clearly in mourning right here. He is brokenhearted over what is happening to his king and to his friend. David sends him back to, into, his, into the city. He then he tells him to go to Absalom and, and, and to, to, uh, uh, to, to go to Absalom, I'm sorry. David wants Hushai to counter the counsel of an old uh, uh, him, uh, friend right here. So, so uh, his name is... Uh, Hethafel, thank you, brother. Hethafel was David's counselor, but he was also Bathsheba's grandfather. He saw the rebellions of Absalom and had an opportunity to get even with David for what he had done to Bathsheba and Uriah here. So Ushai does not does what David asks and saves David's life in 2 Samuel 17. We're going to see this. So he served as David's eye and ears in the throne's room. He was a hero. He, uh, he was a hero right here in that he laid his life on the, put his life on the line for his friend. He went literally to the enemy lines to be his eyes and his ears for his friend. You see, true friends don't don't count the cost; they just do it. That's the, the value of the friends we see right here. That's the friends that David begins to see. Even though the nation is all against him here because their heart is towards Absalom, David begins to see who had a heart for him. Who really was his true friend? See, few but precious friends are the friends that will take that kind of stand for you. David was blessed that he had a few people who were willing to take chance to help him in the time of great needs. He had Yushai, uh, Zadok, and Abitar right here. Uh, 
here, uh, I mean, these people right here. So thank the Lord for those people who will stand by us no matter what the cost. I'll go down here a little bit. So let's look, uh, look at letter D. Did I give you letter, uh, the letter F? Letter C. Oh, letter D. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't give no letter F yet. So David had helped helpful friends. We see uh, Shobai here. Shobai was an Amorite. His father, Nasha, the king of Ammon, was cruel behind words. First Samuel 11. His brother, Unan, had him. Embarrassed David's messengers, we see that in 2 Samuel 10. But Shebai right here became an ally of David and stood by him through these diff difficult days. So David had fought against his people, uh, and but Shebai did not allow the past to cloud his love for David. Another one we have here is Meshir, is he was the man from uh, Lydia Bar who gave shelter to Meph Mephibosheth. He was the, the kind of person who had a tender heart and seemed to want to reach out to help others. He may have thought that he was already given enough, but he gave more because he was David's friend. He never forgot what David had done to Mephibosheth. And another one here, another friend David here, is Barzillai. He was also an old man who had plenty of money, 2 Samuel 19, 32. He could have said, get someone else. I'm an old, I'm tired, I'm an old man. But he did, he was David's friend, and he rose to the challenge. When he, were, he was in need, he came to give David that friendship that he needed. Praise the Lord, when we are heard, and then we have the hand of a friend, or the arm of a friend, or the voice of a friend to say, I'm there for you. I'm telling you. So these, these men reveal the true nature of friendship. They give without being asked. They, they, and they ask for nothing in return. They give out the, uh, uh, out of love, with, with, not with hidden agendas. They, they, they did what they, they did because they loved David as a friend. He was their friend. Uh, 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 David was their friend, and there was no price tag on it. I'll tell you what. A friend doesn't put a price tag on anything. They just do it because they love the other person. So notice here, David is, is when, uh, uh, notice where, I'm sorry, where David is when these three men come. He is in a place called, uh, I mean, he was in, in exile right here. This was not the first time that, the, uh, I mean, this is the first time we see David in exile here. But this man come towards David and say, David, we are with you. Isn't that interesting here? When everybody's going out, David began to see who they, his friends really are. Listen, it's not just one guy right here. One came with 600 men. Said, David, I'm with you. Then you have these other guys individually who come towards David. It's amazing when we have a true friend, friends, people of great value that we value. Uh, how, what can they do for us when we are in need? Believe me. Letter E, we see David had honest friends. The last friend we will consider is David's nephew and he, the commander of his army, Joab. During the battle to retake Jerusalem and to bring David back to the throne, David's son, Absalom, becomes trapped in a tree by, uh, by his hair. We will we'll look into that in the days ahead. Joab finds him hanging there and he and, he, and his armor bearer kills, he kills Absalom. When David hears the news, he is devastated and goes off by himself to mourn. David is overcome with grief and guilt and cannot comprehend that the kingdom had been returned to him. 
It was Joab that goes and does it. Then Joab said, if I do this, all the problems will end between you and your son. But Joab was stood there next to David. When Joab hears how David is acting, he went to David and rebuked him for not praising the people for bringing him back to the throne. He reminds David that there's a larger issues at stake here. David's still king, and as king, he had a responsibility towards his people. You see, here's the value of a friend. A friend will rebuke you when you're wrong. And if you're a friend in return, you listen. You might be mad for a time. <laughs> but I tell you, David is all crying out because his son is, is dead, and is rightly so as his son. Who's coming? Joab. Hey, snap out of it. Get out of here. You have a nation to take care of it. Are you crying after him? After what he did? That's what he's doing right. He rebukes him. David could say, you don't understand. It's my son. I understand it's your son. You have a kingdom to take care of. You know what? The value of a, of a good friend, of a true friend, is that he will rebuke you when you need to hear. So he reminds David he had, he had a job to do. So David sees his arrows and goes out to meet the people. See, he needed to be rebuked. So he could do what he's supposed to do. So Joab was a friend because he told David the truth. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. But you know what? The truth sometimes is painful. But when we need to hear, praise the Lord for those who tell us the truth, right? So Joab was a friend because he told David the truth. And David saw that. David knew what he was saying it was truth. He would not stand by and watch his friend make a mistake that he would later regret. That is what friends do. They will tell you the truth about your life and your decisions. They do so not to hurt you but to help you avoid the pain that comes after your foolish, foolish mistakes. Here is what the Bible says about that kind of friend. Proverbs 27, 6 talks about that. David had a friend like that in Joab, and he had a friend like that in Nathan, the prophet, as well. If you have a friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth, then you are blessed individual. a blessed individual. Real friends pull, pull no punches they will tell you the truth. Thank God that Jesus is that kind of friend who tells us the truth. He tells us that we are sinners and we need a Savior. He warns us to avoid the fires of hell. He tells us the ways we go is not the ways that He wants for us so, because we're going to hurt ourselves. He gives all that. So I conclude with this. Thank God for our friends. I praise the Lord for the friends that God put in my in my uh, journey as I go through life. The Lord has put some good friends in my life, and I believe you can say the same thing about your own life, friends the Lord has put in your life. But the value of friends, the people that God has placed in your life and to help you along, and you know they are friends, they're there. And if you need them, they're there. Thank God for friends. They are like fine jewels affixed in a crown of our lives. When God gives us people like He gave David, He has blessed us above measure. Thank God there's a friend that stick it closer than a brother. And of course, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ now. But thank you. We say, praise the Lord for friends. I mean, we know we have 
the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a, He sticks closer than a brother, He's a, our great friend, our great companion. But for human friendships, isn't it? You don't you agree with that? Human friendships. It's good to have a someone that you can trust, someone you can talk with, someone you know is genuine, is not there with an agenda, someone is there to help you when you need. It's good to have friends like that. You can count on them. But friends also will tell you the truth when you need to hear. These are the kind of friends. I tell you what, the Lord has blessed me with friends like that through the years. I mean, I'm not a teenager anymore. I am 55 years old. You know, I've been around for a little time. And praise the Lord for those friends that came along the way and continue to come as, the Lord, as we keep going through this journey of life. And I believe you'd say the same thing. Praise the Lord for my friends, those who are genuine friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for friendships. Thank you, Lord, for the value of friends. Lord, when the, we are in trouble, when we are in need, Lord, we see, we really see those who are our friends, who are there to help us. And we praise the Lord for them, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. He's always there for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, you're the greatest friend we can ever find in this world. But Lord, thank you, Lord, also so much for all human friends that we need. And Lord, we just pray for them as well. Lord, I just, uh, as we look at this message, what a wonderful thought, Lord. David here, in one of the hardest moments of his life, he began to see who his friends really were. And he saw it. Lord, help us to see who our friends really are, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So we have...